0: Today's guest is a leader driven by love. This episode is so critical. Let's get into it. Welcome to I Am All This, a podcast about what it means to take care of your whole self and show up fully present here now. I'm your host, Kate Hurley, And this episode is brought to you by my app, Kate, which delivers a variety of movement and meditation classes, ranging from high-intensity sweat fest to guided runs to more restorative options like yoga and meditation. So everything we discuss on this podcast is about you, but it's also much bigger than you. My hope is that in every single episode, what comes through is the fierce power of love and how deeply connected we are to each other and to the environment. Today, spiritual activist and champion of women of color, Rachel Ricketts, is joining us. Rachel is a speaker, a writer, a healer, a lawyer, and her life's mission is to dismantle the racist heteropatriarchy. In our conversation, we talk all about racism, how it shows up in the health and wellness space, what spiritual bypassing means, why embracing emotions like anger and grief are critical to changing ourselves and the world, and so much more. Let's go ahead and meet Rachel. Hi, Ray Ray. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, it is an honor to have you here to chat. So I want to start by asking a question that you ask your community a lot. How is your heart holding up?
1: Mm. Um, thank you for asking today. It's day by day, kind of breath by breath through this pandemic experience. Um, and today is mixed, as many days are. So um, it's my um, one year wedding anniversary with my husband today, which is um, lovely. And I'm also just feeling a lot of grief, um, specifically in this moment uh, today. So it's it's uh, grief and gratitude on repeat. That's kind of uh, how the days have been going and how I'm feeling that um, even more today. Oh
0: Well, congratulations on your first anniversary. I'm sure this has all been a bit unexpected to spend it like this while we're all holed up.
1: Yeah, not couldn't have imagined it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so you just submitted your book to your publisher. Is that right?
1: First draft, yes.
0: Is there anything about your book that you can share with us, or are you keeping
1: it under lock? Um, well i I can share that um it's a culmination of my life and personal experiences navigating um white supremacist capitalism and cis heteropatriarchy and uh, mixed with um my educational offerings around racial justice and anti-oppression from my spiritual activism, um, workshops and as well as my grief work. So it's a culmination of all, all of that. Um, my personal experience and my professional experience. Um, and it's, um, a heart-centered story really around like my own personal experiences navigating all of these things and um, it's a call to action so um, you can look forward to um, work to do. Every chapter ends with some um, culturally informed spiritually centered or focused um, inner work um, as well as some outer calls to action. Um, which is really just indicative of the work that I do, right? Like this work to me is is about us facing our own shit and looking into um, the mirror and facing our own shadows as a means to um, hold space for the collective and get out there and create the change that that really needs to be made. And now more than ever, um, you know, we we need to be doing this work. Um, there's there's no time to waste and there's no excuse.
0: Well, I can't wait to get my hands on it and share it here with the community when it comes out in April of 2021, right? Uh, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. no, no dates mean anything anymore. So, we'll okay. Got it. Got it. Playing it by ear. Um, but one of the things that I've really benefited from your work as a white woman is, you know, it's really easy for me to read things and intellectualize them and kind of point fingers and- think like, oh my gosh, look how terrible things are out there. But really um, what you've taught me is that the most important work is starting from within. And even though I might think like, of course I am not racist. Like I hate these systems. I, you know, I love love and I think everyone should be treated equally and blah, blah, blah. Like you have really shown me that even if I am, you know, against white supremacy, there are subtle ways that I am holding it up just because that is the status quo. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I just want to thank you for everything that, that you've shown me or one of my teachers, but who
1: is this book really for? Um, it's for everybody. Um, truly there's like no person on the planet that doesn't need to be involved in the work and can't benefit from it. But first and foremost, certainly it's for, for white women. Um, and all as is all of my work, um, first and foremost for white women, not because, um, I always say it's to white women, but not for them. It's for, uh, folks of color, specifically for Black and Indigenous women of color, inclusive of transgender, nonconforming, non-binary, agender, queer, and anyone else who um, identifies as a gender that's uh, oppressed by patriarchy. It's for us. Um, but white women are, are, in my personal experience and my professional experience, the community that's causing the most harm to um, women of color and um, Black Indigenous women of color specifically. And so my work is directed to them, because um, it's high time they do their work in order to stop co- causing so much harm um, and inflicting so much violence against Black and Indigenous women of color and other um, other folks of color. So that's that's always who my work is for, but it's always with an eye um, to ensure that the work that I do can be read, absorbed, and um, you know, gleaned from from anyone. So um, folks of color take a lot away. Uh, from my work, whether it's specifically to them, which of course I have work that's specifically for folks of color, specifically black and indigenous women of color, but even the work that I do that's specifically pointed to um, white folks and to white women, folks of color will always take something away, can always take something away from that work um, because uh, we're all entrenched in systems of white supremacy and um, folks of color uh, are so rarely used to, if ever, um, being in a space, whether it's virtual or, or, you know, in real life, where they feel prioritized or where they feel sufficiently safe. Um, and so that's one thing that um, is really important to me. And um, the best feedback that I ever, ever receive um, is from other folks of color who say, like, this was the first experience I've had where I've been in a space with white folks, specifically with white women, where I felt prioritized and I felt sufficiently safe.
0: Wow. That is unbelievable. Um, but at the same time, you know, not shocking because of of what I've learned from you and in participating from your anti-racism workshops. And for everybody listening, um, Rachel has several different offerings and she has... Um, you know, she's a speaker and writer, but you don't have to see her speak live at an event or wait for her book to start doing this work. She has these amazing online workshops that you can just go ahead and access access now on her website, which I'll include in the show notes um, from a, I guess, like talking a little bit more about what... um Speaking speaking to prioritizing the healing needs of black people and people of color, what kind of changes do you want to see in the health and wellness space as a whole? I've heard you talk about the health and wellness space as the wealth and hellness space. Mm-hmm. And I'd love, to, <laughs> I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear more of it because um, you know, it's it's pretty
1: critical. Yeah. I mean Where do I begin? But I would love to see um, wellness be a space that's actually for everyone and not a very specific subset of people, you know, like thin, rich, white, blonde, able-bodied, cisgendered, neurotypical, young, um, upper class, heterosexual, cis women, um, because that's who it's for right now. And that's who it's dominated by right now. Um, I would also love to see wellness be representative and inclusive and acknowledge um, the cultural roots that most of the wellness practices originate from, or just simply are. Um, So there's a lot of cultural appropriation going on, there's a lot of spiritual bypassing going on, and all of these things are part and parcel of systems of oppression, and all of these things perpetuate further oppression. So um, people believe that they're becoming better by... Um, partaking in specific wellness practices um, and they are missing the um, privilege, allows them to miss uh, the important piece around the fact that sometimes their wellness. Um, results in the oppression of others. So one thing that I always like to draw attention to for folks um, in the spiritual or wellness spaces is like who are the leaders in the spiritual and wellness spaces right now? What do they look like? Where do they come from? You know, like the leading yogis are white women, leading meditation teachers or centers are uh, usually white folks. Or predominantly white folks or led by white folks. And um, we need to have a reckoning with the fact that these practices originated from communities of color for communities of color and have been appropriated um, by white people, which is not to say that white people can't partake in these practices. Um, cultural exchange is is rich and it's important. And these practices are potent. And I full, fulsomely and wholeheartedly Um, wish more folks would partake in them, but we need to, how we partake in them is just as important as if we're partaking in them. So are we honoring the roots, the cultural roots um, of these practices, the origins of these practices? Are we calling something yoga that's not yoga? Because yoga is not just physical movement. Um, And how are we doing that? Are we giving back to the communities that created these, um, these beautiful potent practices? Um, There's just, so much room for us to expand our capacity to um, understand what wellness is, what it really is, who it's for, why it's only for specific people, and how we can um, expand wellness to be something that is accessible to everybody. So I don't believe that something is spiritual or part of wellness if it's only for a specific subset of people that specifically excludes Um, and oppresses others. That is not wellness to me. And that's not spirituality to me. It's a whole other thing. It's a system of white supremacy. So um, we need to educate ourselves and have an understanding of what these things are. And then we need to get to work to to create changes so that um, they don't exist the way that they have existed to, to date.
0: So powerful. And, you know, I just wanted to say a few years ago, when I first hired you, you know, I thought that I was hiring you to kind of help me with my business um, and like help make things more accessible and welcoming and, you know, kind of lift the veil on, on what I haven't been seeing in ways that I personally am or might be causing harm through my app and website. And then Really, what I learned from you is like, oh, my gosh, no, this really does, you know, start within like it's an it's an inside job and it's changed the way that I teach. And, um, you know, being a white woman who does teach yoga and meditation, I know that I am causing harm in some ways, even if I might be helping in others. So I just want to acknowledge that as part of the conversation for listeners.
1: Yeah, and that the the um, perfection is never the goal, right? And like, perfect this notion of perfection is part of of systems of white supremacy that are harmful, anyways. And so, we'll never eradicate harm, um, but we need to acknowledge the harm that we do cause, and we need to work our asses off to minimize that harm, and and certainly strive towards eradicating it. That needs to be the goal. Um, but what I witnessed so many times, especially with white women, is like, oh, well, I just I can't be perfect at this. And so then I get stuck in, um, well, narcissism, really. <laughs> I get stuck in the fact that I can't be perfect at it or like I get stuck in all the harm I've caused and I can't like sit with the fact that I've caused all of this harm and so I don't do anything and I get paralyzed um, and your paralysis or your guilt or your shame like isn't helping you and it's not helping me and it's not helping the most marginalized so it's futile um, which is not to say that we don't need to feel our, our feelings because we do and pretending that we don't feel guilty or feel shameful or feel grief or anger or whatever it is we feel also isn't helpful. We need to feel our feelings, um, but we need to have a deeper understanding and resonance with why we're feelings feeling the feelings that we are feeling and um, how we can cycle through them so that we can actually get into a space of, of change. So a lot of, um, I always say that the work that I do is grief work. It, all of it is grief work because um, white supremacist, heteropatriarchy, uh, causes grief for everybody, but not to the same degree, um, and not in the same manifestations. Of course, so for no one more than Black and Indigenous women of color, but it absolutely causes harm for everyone in the same way that we understand that patriarchy causes harm for men, white supremacy causes harm to white folks, um, but not in the same ways. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, what you're
0: talking? Well, no, no. I mean, what you're what you're really getting to the root of, it sounds like, is freedom. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you're prioritizing the freedom of Black people and people of color because they're the ones who are most at risk and experiencing the most violence. But, you know, freedom is a is a two-way street. So, um, you know, you're helping everybody become a little more free through all of this, which I can't think of a more profound and meaningful gift.
1: Yeah, I mean, we... The- the, the intention here is that, in, you know, insofar as anyone is oppressed, we're all oppressed and we all have the right to liberation and that liberation starts from the inside out, but there's certainly a lot of outward work to do, right? And so if we're not doing the inner work, we don't have the capacity or the space to even look outside of ourselves. And that's where I see specifically white women get so stuck is because it's um, a lack of understanding of their roles as oppressed oppressors. So it's like, well, I have to deal with patriarchy all day and I'm oppressed by X, Y, Z, and that is true and that is real and that is valid. And you oppress folks of color and specifically black and indigenous women of color by virtue of being white, period. So um, you have to have learned to tolerate your discomfort and sit within that liminal space of being an oppressed oppressor. I, too, am an oppressed oppressor in different ways, right? I'm cisgendered. um, I'm in a heterosexual relationship. I'm light skinned. I'm highly educated. I'm thin. I'm able bodied. I'm financially secure. I'm young. The list goes on. And just by virtue of belonging to those groups that possess more power and privilege within those niches, I oppressed those I oppress those who don't, because those are the systems that we live within. And those are the systems that are being completely and utterly called into question now. <laughs> um, and I wish they would have been called into question over many, 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 many decades. But um, we're in a real global and collective awakening um, right now that's showing us sort of all the cracks in the system in a really potent global way so we really have opportunities here to look at the 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 shit that needs to change outside of ourselves but more importantly we need to look at the shit that needs to change inside of us because systems start with people people created systems humans created all of these systems these things that we just abide by as though they're law or god like borders um or religion or governments like all of these things are are ideas that we just treat as as realities right but they're not they're ideologies they're ideas but that but they have very real consequences they're very 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 real in um their practical terms just like race race scientifically biologically not a real thing right but practically speaking so socio- so socially and sociologically very 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 real i'm treated very differently than you based solely on the color of my skin um So we have to start to really reckon with these realities that we've all bought into, why we bought into them, how we perpetuated them, how that's caused ourselves and others harm, how that makes us feel, um, and like what the fuck we're going to do about it because because it needs to change.
0: This feels like a really good segue into um, something you mentioned earlier with spiritual bypassing. Mhm, um can you explain a little bit about what that is because you know you're acknowledging, and I agree with you like all of these things are are created, you know, like boundaries and um you know race, like we all are one, we're all connected, we're all impacted by each other, but you know clearly, um, you and I have very different lived experiences in the world mm-hmm. um Can you just describe for us, like, what is spiritual bypassing and how that tends to show up in the health and wellness space when you see things on Instagram like
1: good vibes only? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And thank you for that because I meant to explain spiritual bypassing. Um, So, spiritual bypassing comes up in so many forms, but essentially it's the notion of leaning into spirit or spirituality to um, avoid um, reality for all intents and purposes. So, um, it looks like, um, what I call love and light supremacy. So, you know, like you mentioned, Kate, positive vibes only, or we're all, I don't see color. We're all one race. We're the human race or, um, um, you know, this belief system that's very, very prevalent in in the wealth and wellness industry, around like law of attraction and um, just like you create, you f- wholeheartedly create your own reality based on your mindset and perspective, um, and all of those things are spiritual bypassing because they um, very conveniently for people who hold the most power and privilege, and so racially that's white people, gloss over the lived realities and systems and institutions of oppression that. Um, cause harm and create inequities in the world so for example i believe as a spiritual person as a healer as an intuitive um i absolutely believe that we are all you know in quotations one race the human race and that we are all connected and interconnected deeply i believe that we are all souls having a human experience Um, but we're all souls having a human experience and in these human bodies we you know look different um and as humans we've assigned and ascribed different um levels of power and privilege to people based on their quote-unquote race and that has very very real um and very um potent consequences specifically for folks of color so it's very easy for white people to say oh well we're all one race for the human race like i don't see race because there's no difference because you don't deal daily with discrimination and oppression because of the color of your skin that's a privilege that you have you don't see it you don't have to deal with it i mean the truth is actually that you do you do witness it but you choose not to even acknowledge what you what it is you witness um and so you can just live on your perch and pretend like race isn't a reality because it's not something that you see as impacting you even though it does impact you but it impacts you favorably every single fucking day um And then to say things like, oh, well, you know, the law of attraction, all you have to do is sit on a rock and meditate um, into the meditate into abundance. The things that you want in your life is the exact same thing as um, um, believing in the American dream and that we all start from the same space and all you have to do is work hard enough to get and achieve your dreams, which completely undermines and ignores um, the very, very real and lived experiences of folks of color who are um, systematically and institutionally oppressed in medicine, in housing, in education, um, in across the board in employment, um, you know every system under the sun um, it, it eradicates that slavery ever existed and so we're starting you know 400 years uh, behind. Um, all of those things are just completely, bypassing these lived realities of folks of color and specifically black and indigenous people of color. And so it's leaning into this notion of spirituality as something that's like only positive or um, that, you know, negative, there's such a thing as negative vibes or negative emotions. And so um, I don't subscribe to that belief system whatsoever. I believe that all emotions are information. All emotions are valid. All emotions are there for a good reason. It's what we do with those emotions. That's really important. And no, um, massive collective change. No massive civil rights movement, whether it's Stonewall riots or um, uh, the march on Selma, Alabama, or um, or the like. Like, n- no massive collective movement hasn't been motivated by some way, shape, or form by anger, right? And if you're not angry at the the, the shit that's going on in the world, especially today, if you don't feel some form of rage about that, um. I think there's a part of you that's disconnecting from from the fulsom, fulsomeness of yourself. Um, and when you're disconnecting from your rage, you're also discon- disconnecting from the height of your joy and the height of your love. They're connected. So it uh, to spiritually bypass is to cut yourself off from the fulsomeness of being human and the fulsomeness of, of um the full spectrum of your human experience, and therefore the full, full capacity to have compassion not only for yourself, but for others and other human experiences. There's so much there
0: that you just said, but in particular, what really I think needs to be highlighted is, you know how critical it is that we embrace the full range of emotions and going back to the wealth and hellness and industry I think we've been conditioned to believe on several different levels that there's something wrong with us unless we feel um, totally blissed out and happy all the time. It's like oh are you upset you must need an, another green smoothie or this expensive adaptogen yeah um so at the root of these, you know uncomfortable emotions especially like anger you know um like they basically what you're saying is like they are critical we must have them they're a part of being human
1: and like they can help us is that right yeah they can they can help us because they can motivate us into action so like anger is a really great indication that like a boundary's been crossed right like that's something is amiss, um, and it's something that we, especially collectively as women, have been um, socialized under heter- heteropatriarchy to ignore. It's like part of our intuition, like that, like, wait, you know, we've all had that moment, or most of us, I would imagine, have had that moment where, like, you know, you, you meet someone and you're like, something's just not right here. um, um and, and we've been taught and socialized from youth to really ignore that feeling, um, which, by the way, creates a lot of rage in us. <laughs> When you're taught to distrust yourself, <laughs> it makes you really fucking angry. And then, again, as women, we are taught that our anger is socially unacceptable, um, right? So there's no, you're not allowed to be an angry woman ever. Uh, you're not taken seriously if you're quote unquote emotional, especially if you're Black. Um, and so you strive to fit within these boxes of the status quo of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and so you learn early that that anger is unacceptable and so you're just supposed to be this like really um submissive, conducive, opening, open, you know, loving, just kind, compassionate person all the time um who doesn't feel rage or quote unquote negative emotions and that's just not being human it's 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 just not and so if you are unallowed to feel your emotions and to express your anger then it it's gonna come out vi- as violence and I was just talking about this with a friend recently about like high school the high school experience my husband and I were talking with a couple friend of ours just like how violent high school it is for um for women and folks who who um grew up outside of the gender construct of male which is you know, when you think back on it, a lot of folks are like, oh, I would think it was more violent for folks who identify as male because they, you know, got into fights. There was lots of fights and like physical violence. But um, the violence that occur- occurs for um, women or those who identify as women is this insidious um, emotional violence, which I talk a lot about in my workshops. Um, and it's not something we even talk about. Like I only recently learned even really like what it looks like to be bullied as a woman identified person by other folks who identify as women, like what that really looks like and feels like. Um. And so this isn't a gendered conversation, um, but I'm just highlighting kind of the ways in which we ignore uh, how violence can show up. And so in our day-to-days as as adults, um, when we're unallowed to express our anger, then it builds up within us and it comes out as violent, violent um, discourse, violent dialogue, um, passive aggressiveness, um, you know, cutting, cutting criticism, um, si- like ghosting on people, icing other people out, tr- like the silent treatment. um Playing victim can be a form of violence. Like oppression is a form of violence. So all of these things lead to to violence. It's just not in a classic physical form, um, but it's equally as harmful, if not more harmful. And if we don't have the capacity to allow ourselves to feel our emotions, then we don't have capacity to allow other people to feel their emotions. So when people who are oppressed come to us with their anger. Um, we have zero capacity to hear it or understand it because we have not allowed ourselves to feel our own. And that I see specifically with white women. No space to feel their own anger about how they've been oppressed by patriarchy and anything else that they're oppressed by based on whatever um, other oppressed identity they may they may um, exist within. And so zero capacity to hold space for people of color, specifically Black and Indigenous women, because they can't feel their anger, so they can't receive or hear others.
0: I've never thought about anger like this, you know, as like the more you stuff it away, the more that it kind of explodes out in other violent ways or like, you know, subtle ways that are also emotionally violent, you know, and can make people, other people feel like they're the problem. Yeah. Um, this, like, I've always thought about like anxiety, you know, have you ever had panic attacks before?
1: I recently had my first one. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Welcome to the club. It was very enlightening. Like, I don't suggest it for anybody, but I really did learn a lot.
0: But that takes, I mean, you walk the talk, you know, that takes so much courage that you sit with it and then you can feel the wisdom energy and like understand, you know, the teaching that your anxiety brings you, um, which is a sign of, you know, all of your skills and your your very um vast toolbox that you have but like with anxiety you know for years I was really really good at turning away from it and mm. sometimes turning away is is healthy because it's like ooh the nervous system can't handle this and turning mm-hmm, away mm-hmm, is safe mm-hmm. um but yeah that stuffing down and stuffing down until it explodes out and then all of a sudden you're somewhere public and you're like looking
1: <laughs> you know
0: like for a closet to hide in, um, exactly, so <laughs> that
1: we can Actually, exactly what my takeaway was it was like, oh, we haven't been tending to this. Like we haven't been tending to our heart space, and so here we are, like dry heaving on the bathroom floor, having a hard time breathing because we haven't been tending to how how many mixed emotions are happening in our body, and how we don't we feel helpless and hopeless, or you know, however it, the anxiety manifests for you. So that was what I came out on the other side of that was was like, you you need to fucking tend to this, or that's that's where you end up um and that's true of any emotion that we have i talk about this a lot with grief like people ignore their grief they don't even know what grief is we don't even have an understanding of actually how grief manifests it's not an emotion it's an experience it includes anxiety it includes anger it includes hopelessness it includes joy it includes relief like it's so many things and that can be in like 1 minute of the grief experience all of those things um <laughs> but we don't talk about it and we don't know what it looks like or feels like and so we just continue to move forward and I say this with great compassion for anyone who is relating like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, I don't want anyone to feel like they need to self-flagellate because they stuff their emotions down. We've all been socialized to do that. That's part of how, again, these systems of white supremacist, capitalist, heteropatriarchy work. If we shove our emotions down, then we think that we can find solves outside of ourselves and that if we buy that green juice or that new outfit or whatever, then that will be the key to our happiness. And it's not. Right. But if they if we know that we can heal our own hearts and that we can overcome and we can come together, um, then the quote unquote system falls apart and they don't want that. They don't want us to know it. They don't want, they don't want that to, to ever, ever exist. And so we've all been socialized within these systems of oppression to, um, um, what word am I looking for? Like to take out of ourselves, our own power, right? To, To believe, that it exists outside of ourselves and that we need something to fix us or that we need something in order to be whole or that we need something in order to come together and actually heal ourselves and each other. And We don't need anything except to unlearn so much shit <laughs> that we've been taught and to look at our own shit first so that we can have the capacity to hold space for others and see things as they really are Um Which is, to me, like, I'm loving from The Matrix. It's Keanu in The Matrix, like, what the fuck is going on? You look around, like, this is really what I've been living in, and I had no idea. Like, yes, correct. And the system created um, this beautiful mirage for some people. um, You know, for the folks with the most power and privilege. Um, And we need to pop that bubble. Like, it's time to really burst that bubble and uh, see things as they really are so that we can get to work to changing it.
0: Burn it all down. I'm totally with you.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, Do you feel like even though you've been doing this work your whole life and you've been experiencing these systems of oppression and acutely aware of them every minute of every day, like, do you still feel like you are in this ongoing process of unplugging from the matrix?
1: Always. And it's, it'll never end. Right. Like, and it's, it's like, um, It's why I say the work is internal because it's lifelong and the more you peel back onion layers, which is what you're doing, like this is the hardest work you'll ever do. The inner work is the hardest work you'll ever do because you don't you don't just confront you can call this anti-racism work or anti-oppression work or racial justice, whatever the hell you want to call it, um, but it's healing, period. And healing is the hardest work you'll ever do. You have to come to terms with yourself. You have to come to terms with who you thought you were and then come to terms with who you really are, who you really been. You have to come to terms with who you want to be and what whatever the gap is between those two things and what you're actually really willing to do in order to like to bridge that gap or or not. Um, And the more you peel back, there's just more there. And the closer you get to the center of the onion, the more potent it is. Um, And so it's really, really hard. And none of it is linear. None of it is linear. You'll be like, oh, I thought I learned that. And I like had that on lock. And then you like totally fuck something up and cause harm and be like, shit, I like didn't think that that was still going to be something that happened and it and it is and it's why people don't want to do this work because we like to have like five steps you know the amount of people who email me for magazine quotes like oh can you just give me like the five steps to becoming anti-racist like no actually i fucking can't there aren't just five steps it's lifelong all the time it's every breath it's a choice you will fuck it up a million times Um, you'll do one great thing and like a million things wrong and you have to just continue to come back to it. Well, you don't have to, but the work is continuing to come back to it time and time and time and time again, as with anything else. So, um, so I still fuck up. I still cause harm. Um, and my goal is not to be perfect because that's not a goal I'll ever achieve. And my goal is not to reach enlightenment because that's not a goal I'll ever achieve. My goal is to continuously learn more, to grow, to evolve, to do the best I can, to own up to harm that I cause, um, and learn so that I do better moving forward. And when I say learn, I mean, educate myself, not like beg people who I've harmed to teach me and educate me, which is part of oppression. Um, And and um and to continue to do the really, really hard work of caring for myself and tending to my own heart space so that I have the capacity to um show up for others and um and burn it all down. (laughs) And burn it all down. Rachel, this is I'm
0: I have total chills just listening to you speak here. I'm gonna go back afterwards and take notes on all of this. Um, but yeah, so one of my one of my favorite quotes from Audra Lorde that I've seen misused a lot. Um, she writes, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And then usually, you know, that's where they cut the quote off on Instagram. And the next line is, and that is an act of political warfare. Yeah. And it's like, it's, you know, I I guess you know, this term self-care has a lot of, uh, charge to it, but, um, you know, I'm really curious because like, where, where do you think the breakdown happened? Like, where did the, the marketing jump in and kind of like steal even what it means to take care of
1: yourself? Mm mm-hmm. Um. It's just a classic status quo response, again, of white supremacist, cis heteropatriarchy, which is so the self-care movement um, didn't originate in black spaces, but was definitely de- developed and really cultivated within black activist spaces. And this notion of self-care, again, goes back to what I was saying before about the... Um, when these larger systems, when the folks who have the most power and privilege understand that we understand that we can care for ourselves, um, it's like the mutual aid um, groups that we're seeing pop up now in the midst of this pandemic, the ways in which these larger systems, aka like corporations and governments want to shut that down because they don't want us to be able to be self-sufficient in any way, shape or form. Because then they, then they know that we know that we actually call the shots <laughs> because we like we're the masses. So um, self-care so got, got appropriated and it got um, converted into like really just capitalistic, racist, ableist, ageist, et cetera, classist oppression. Um, because then it's something that, again, makes us look outside of ourselves for things um, that really the work really is inside. There's no amount of um, like black mud you can put on your face or avocado toast that you can eat um that's going to heal you i assure you um, i've tried i have yeah tried right for We've all tried. so um so that's 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 part of it and then of course um these larger systems exist to ensure that we're all oppressed. And so the extent to which our healing and um, our power exists outside of ourselves, then they can continue to feed us and tell us what it is we really need and want and should want, right? Like they dictate it. Um, And so it's just been totally appropriated within all of the classic systems of oppression. Um, What I talk about in my work, I call it soul care. I don't even call it self-care anymore because I just think self-care has been totally whitewashed and appropriated and it doesn't even mean anything anymore. So soul care is like the work that we are doing, um, that isn't always lovely and it's not glamorous and it isn't about like a mani pedi or, um, a spa day. It's about like our inner conditioning, you know, To, to me, it's like akin to brushing your teeth. Like I don't, I don't actually like brushing my teeth. I don't enjoy it. It's not something I personally like enjoy doing, but it's part of my health regimen, right? Like if I don't brush my teeth, my teeth get fucked up. I have cavities. I am like, it's part of my health routine. Have to, it's part of like actual tangible wellness for myself. Um, And that's what soul care is. Soul care is really like, it's hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's looking inside. It's acknowledging again, like hurts and harms, not only that have been inflicted, against you but that you have inflicted on others and tracing patterns it's ancestral work it's um it's uh it's really really hard um and it never ends and um but it's also the most liberating work you'll ever do and it allows you to have the the most um profound and deep connection not only to yourself but to like all that is including other humans but all all beings um, and see and understand things in a way that really like just liberates you mind body and soul and um, and I'm not knocking some of the things we call self-care right like sometimes, having a hot bath or like getting your nails done can be part of of rest and rest can be a form of activism that's exactly what audrey lord was talking about especially for folks of color who like never get opportunities to rest in in um systems of oppression and discrimination that keep us constantly working whether it's like physically tangibly working or like doing emotional labor working um so it's it's again it's never Uh, black or white all of this stuff is very gray and that's again why people really hate it it really is specific on the whens and hows and whys and who's that's partaking in it but um but i do have a really large issue again that comes back to the wealth and hellness piece about like that um though self-care in quotations what we call self-care today is only accessible to a small subset of people specifically like white rich then able-bodied um, neurotypical um, upper middle class um, folks, and that's not self care. It's care, and it's caring again. It's caring for them. It's an act that feels caring for them that can be ex- um, expressly and explicitly exploitative or or discriminatory to others. So back to nails, I used to get my nails done like all the time, religiously, um, and if my getting my nails done means that um, a person of color has to, um, you know, do my nails and get paid at a, a non-livable wage just so that I can have my nails done, like that isn't, that is not self-care to, to me. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's exploitation and violence and oppression and discrimination and perpetuating all of the systems of oppression.
0: Yeah, and that's where I think it gets really tricky because that's seriously
1: everywhere. Yeah, that, that's why I say burn it all down. Burn it all, all down. Yeah. So I
0: want to kind of talk about your activism because you know you've raised over twenty one thousand dollars for Black and Indigenous women of color um, to help them survive and just pay for bare essentials during this pandemic, and then we also have you know a, a presidential election coming up in the United States this year, and you are Canadian but a big part of your audience is in North America as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know you've been very, very vocal. So I guess kicking, there's, you know, a couple of things here to unpack, but first, can you tell us a little bit about the fundraiser and the women that you are connecting with and providing these essential
1: funds for? Sure. Um, So the fundraiser is... um, Mm -hmm just born out of the fact that like, as soon as I saw this pandemic reach the United States, reach Washington state, where I have family who live um, actually just a block away, a couple blocks away from ground zero in Kirkland in Washington state, um, where uh, coronavirus COVID first broke out. As soon as I saw it hit the United States, I was like, okay, so I know exactly how this is going to go. The same way, um, the same way, all things go all the time, which is that this is going to disproportionately impact Black and Indigenous communities because we always get fucked first and worst. Um, and, you know, we've seen this time and time again with natural disasters like um, hurricanes, like Hurricane Sandy and Hurricane Katrina, um, et cetera, et cetera. We know that um, Black and Indigenous folks um, endure medical racism at such a rate that, um, you know, we have, for example, um, Black women in the in New York City Die at a rate 12 times that of white women in hospitals when they give birth 12 times national average is three times um in new york city specifically it's 12 times which is just like if you really sit with that um it's it's a it's beyond it's beyond it's just so it's, unforgivable. it's, unforg- it's unacceptable it's unfathomable it's just like um so so i knew that this was going to come for black and indigenous communities you know the worst and hardest and that that was early on so my like biggest grief period was like er- like um right when this started happening in like early mid-march um and then now we're seeing all the statistics that just prove what 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 you know black and indigenous people already knew and especially black indigenous activists absolutely knew was coming so here we are and we're seeing statistics um about how um Folks are, black communities are dying at, you know, maybe they comprise 14% of the population in, for example, I think Michigan, um, but um, comprise like 70% of the dead. I could have made that set up. I'm not entirely, I don't have them in front of me. I don't know 100%, but they d- are disproportionately dying from COVID, even though they make up a smaller percentage of the population. So um, before all we had all that information, I, I saw where this was going to go. Um, and I just knew that we needed to raise funds for. For black and indigenous folks who need support on a good day, let alone in the midst of a crisis. Um, And I know that the American government is not here to support um, poor folks or black indigenous folks or any oppressed populations ever never have been. Mm, Hopefully will be at some point, but no time soon. Um, So I just felt it was imperative to raise funds specifically for black and indigenous americans Um, as a canadian who has access to public health care and larger social welfare systems um, that was part of me being able to spend my privilege most of my family lives in the united states so i know firsthand um um, sorry it makes me really upset i know firsthand how how hard black and indigenous people are struggling and like what the actual impact is Um, for them because I have family members who are struggling right now so I wanted to be able to raise funds um, to um, to support I mean however I I could and part of the um, grief I'm specifically experiencing today going back to your initial question about how my heart is is just there's so many people who have reached out in need of funds and like there's just not enough funds Um, and it just breaks my heart to no level because no one should have to email me and ask me for this kind of stuff like no one no one should have to email and say um I'm trying to get medicine for my son. No one should have to ask a stranger for that. Nobody. That's just not a world that I want to live in. It's not okay. Um and so this was just something that I saw something that I could at least try to do but like I say like these systems as they currently exist are not acceptable and People needed this support before this pandemic and fuck, they're gonna need it so much more even when it's in quotations over. I mean, there's no such thing as going back to normal ever again. Um, um this is just the yeah, work and- that I do. Like, how do we redistribute funds? How do we redistribute our power and privilege and spend it however possible to get it to the people who need it the most? I mean, the fact that people just can't even access healthcare, the fact that people are dying and their last breath to their healthcare provider is who's gonna pay for this is Unacceptable.
0: Completely unacceptable. And I can hear the immense amount of love and compassion that is moving through your voice along with the anger. You know, um, it's just like at the root of all of these really tough emotions is that fierce love and that clearly, so
1: clearly moves through you. Thank you. I mean, I always say that my love includes anger, and it's part like it's part of how I um, can do the work that I do. Like, right? Like these systems are enraging. Like this is just not how this should be working. It's just not how this should be working. Um, but it is how it's working, and it's 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 partially because because um, too many people are allowing it to exist this way. Period. We can blame governments, and we can blame you know powers that be but we like we are the powers that be. <laughs> so, we have to change it and I'm not saying that outside of like again like institutional systems of oppression that exist that actually do really wholeheartedly take our powers away. I'm I'm not overlooking that or bypassing that at all, but at the end of the day there are enough folks who have enough power and privilege to create change. And I'm talking to white women. <laughs> I'm talking to white folks, but I'm right now really talking yeah. to white women because I know again the the um The gift and beauty of being an oppressed oppressor is that you have your heart open in a way to what oppression actually is and feels like um, so that you're more willing to transform that, right? And that's where loving anger can be utilized. You can fuel that. You can funnel it into something um, positive. Yeah, and I think when, you know, speaking for myself, you know,
0: feeling some of that heartbreak, feeling that rage, that discomfort, you know – you know, even me just learning about racism and ways that I have upheld it, um, like was was not comfortable. And it's a tiny, tiny touch of what Black people and people of color and Indigenous people experience. But I think like that those uncomfortable emotions, like so many people, I think stop there, or they think like, oh, I'm doing this wrong. I right. I can't. Right. I can't go any further. And then it's actually, you know, what your workshops really dive deeper into is like, no, 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 this is right. Like, this is a sign of your humanity. Like, this is what it feels like to dismantle these systems of of oppression within you. This is what it feels like to become a little more free. Yeah, it
1: feels really awful (laughs) at first because it's it's like part of our genetic code. It's part. It's all we've ever known. Um, You know, no one who's alive today has ever lived outside of these systems. They looked a little bit different, but we've never lived outside of them, and so we don't know. And I think that's a really important point to make, especially now as we're entering this like new world order in this pandemic. Like we don't know. What is possible outside of these systems because we've never seen it, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. I mean, look at what's happened in the last like three weeks, month, or however long you want to say. The world we live in now is completely unfathomable in February, January twenty or like twenty nineteen or like any year before this right now. Um, yeah, even in December, like if right, like ago. just totally, no one would have thought. Um, I'm very confident and hopeful that the Canadian government is going to roll out a universal basic income. I never in a million years would have thought that, that that would happen or that I would feel confident about the government doing something like that ever. Um, it, but I just see the, how it actually benefits them at the end of the day because there's just going to be too many people in need. So um, so things are shifting in a really major way. And that is something that gives me so much hope. But we need to continue to dive into our reserves of like imagining way beyond realities we've ever understood or witnessed before and knowing that like that that's possible and that that's okay like what we're looking for is a um matriarchal collectivist heart-centered um like human uh anti-capitalist anti-oppressive way of existing and we just don't know what that looks like because it's never really existed but that doesn't mean that it can't Just because we don't know what it looks like and we've never felt it before in our bodies doesn't mean that it can't or that it shouldn't. Um, And I know I shared this with you, Kate, but I I was watching some webinar and someone was saying after, um, you know, Bernie dropped out of the race, they were talking about how heartbreaking that was, um, but how it taught them like that you not only have to educate folks or inspire folks into the belief that that these ideas are possible but that they deserve them um and so that's where where that's where the inner work really comes in right so the inner work of like you deserve to be liberated you deserve to have deep and meaningful connection with yourself and with others you deserve to live in a society and universe that wholeheartedly supports you exactly as and how you are um and that's it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive or, or prove anything to anybody. You don't need to be subjugated by anything or anybody. Um, all of this is possible. And that's the work that's required across the board. That's the work that's required of folks of all um, racial identities and gender identities and abilities and class like across the board. That's the work.
0: And I love what you're describing because it it transcends all of it. It's so much bigger than what we can imagine, and it's not dependent upon, oh, well, only this thing will happen if this person I like and support gets
1: elected. Yeah, or you know, there are no conditions. No, there are no conditions. and it and it and it has to happen outside of the systems that currently exist. Like, I talk about this a lot. There's no way that these things can shift in the ma- way we need them to shift inside the systems as they currently exist. It all has to change. And that's what, like, the collective energy, that's what Mother Nature is is bringing upon us right now. Like, okay, here's an opportunity to, like, really fucking shift things um, in a major way. And if you don't, if we don't as a collective... um. And this isn't fear-mongering. Like, this is just the reality. I mean, climate climate crisis is coming. So this is not a joke. Like, this is really, we have this opportunity. It, it's not our first opportunity to create massive collective change. I do think it will be our last. So do we take it or do we not? And that's on each and every one of us.
0: I got a a dm on instagram last week from someone who said that she was so upset and you know wanted to help and wanted to be a part of the change but she didn't know where to start and she described it as feeling like you know she's on the sidelines watching a basketball team play a game and she's just like coach put me in put me in and she's like but there's no coach right, <laughs> right. <laughs> And I sort of feel, you know, um, obviously there are, there are leaders, especially black activists, um, indigenous activists, people of color who have been doing this work for their whole lives, right. Who are leading the way and leading the revolution and fighting for change. Um, and I know, uh, that white people need to do their own work too, but then also balance that with following people who who know what's going on who have experience organizing yeah what do you what do you think are some
1: some practical like first steps when we're like coach put me in where's the coach yeah so one thing no one's on the sidelines you're in the game whether you're aware you're in the game or not and if you're not aware you're in the game then you're probably um you're just being like carried through the game by somebody else (laughs) um (laughs) Like there's no – I always say like nothing's black and white, everything's gray. But in terms of like whether we're participating or not participating in oppression, like that is always gray and yet can also be black and white. That's how gray it is. (laughs) Um, So – um no one's on the sidelines there's no such thing as being like non-racist or non-oppressive it's not something that exists because we are all humans we are all interconnected we are all impacting each other all day every day whether we're conscious of it or not um and if we hold power and privilege we're just not aware of it but you but but you are absolutely in the game right like um if you're a white yeah. person, you have if you're a white person on Turtle Island on North America, you have benefited from um, chattel slavery of black people, just period, because your ancestors did, period. And that has allowed you to have um, doors open for you or um, familial acc- uh, accumulation of wealth in a way that um, black people haven't, period. You probably don't want to reckon with that or look back at it or think about it because it brings up all kinds of feelings, which is part of the inner work that you need to sit with. Um, but that's just a fact. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't impoverished like white folks or like, non-black people. Of course, there are. And that's, a, that's like classism in and of itself is a problem. But it is to say that racially, uh, especially in the United States of America, white people have had a class advantage in a way that black people have not as a result of slavery, period. That's just facts. So you're in the game always. Um, but, and if you're unaware that you've been in the game, that's step one, right? So like, okay, shit, mm-hmm. I've been unaware that I've been in the game. So let me look at how I've been playing the game. Like who, what points are on the scoreboard for me that I haven't even been aware have been points on the scoreboard for me. Who has been supporting me get where I am? Like I got all these scholarships to get onto the team and all this like extra coach from support from my coaches to get even get on the team. And I just wasn't even aware of all the support that I've received. So, starting to do that work, and all of that work um, is starts with some internal work. But all of that work can be led by the folks who know the most about systems of oppression, which is the people who are the most oppressed by these systems. Which systems? Which are Black and Indigenous women of color, and again, women always include um, gender nonconforming, nonbinary, trans, intersexed, genderqueer, um, agendered, anyone who identifies with a gender that's oppressed by misogyny. So, because we sit at the intersection of white supremacy. Um, heteropatriarchy and anti-black, anti-blackness anti and anti-indigeneity. And so I would even go a step further and say we w- should really be looking to um, queer, trans, black and indigenous women of color specifically. Um, just folks who live at the more intersections of oppression have more to share with us and more guidance to give all of us as to how we can un- unpack our own oppression. Um, so looking to the folks who are leading these spaces, who have always led these spaces, Um, for guidance for you to do your work. And this is really important. And part of, again, a huge issue I have with wealth and wellness, which is your healing does not exist outside of you. You have everything that you need. You truly have all the tools that you need inside of you, um, save from, you know, external systems of oppression that make that hard for you to access. But you have all the tools that you need inside of you. There's nothing outside of you. So the healing work that I do for people is to support and guide you into accessing your own healing. So that's how white people need to look at when it comes to anti-racism or any oppressed person needs to look at the oppressed population that they are oppressing for guidance, for unpacking the harm that they've caused themselves and others, um, but to do their own work. That doesn't mean you just like throw up your hands and expect people to do the work for you. No one can do this work for you. You have to do the work. You have to unpack this shit yourself, but you need to look to the right people for guidance. And the people that you need to look at are the people that you've been oppressing. And they know about these systems and they know about your role in these systems. And they know about you, honestly, more than you know about yourself because you didn't even know you were in the game or you didn't know the extent you were in the game, right? And that's something I see a lot, especially with liberal white folks like, oh, no, no, like we know we're in the game, but like you don't know how deep in the fucking game you are. You have no idea. Like you just think you're in the game a little bit and you think that you can just like, you think you can like step out of the game and be on the sidelines. That's not something that exists.
0: And everything that you have said about Black women and, you know, anyone doing this work, leading white people through this work, knowing more about you than you know about yourself, I would say that is a thousand
1: percent accurate. And I say this again as a black person who looks again, you know, to like um to trans folks and differently able folks and anyone who exists in an identity that um that I oppress inherently by virtue of being part of the more privileged faction of that identity subset and um and they know more about me, right? In in those ways. So this I'm not saying like I'm standing on a platform or a pedestal because I'm not. But I'm also not saying that um, that that it, we're all the same and we all have the same work to do. I am not saying that um, at all. So that's why I say like we need to look to the folks who are the most marginalized for the most the most guidance and leadership, and um, we need to to get right with um, what work it is we need to do, what work is ours, and like and where we need to do it. And so whenever I talk to folks of color, specifically Black and Indigenous women of color, I'm, I talk to us about. Um, internalized oppression, anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity, and the ways in which that holds back our ability to heal ourselves and the ways in which um, folks of color also perpetuate white supremacy because we exist inside of these systems just like everyone else and we can't exist outside of them. And white supremacy is palpable and completely potent and existing in rooms and communities where there are no white people, just like patriarchy exists in room and communities Solely full of women, um, because these are systems of oppression that need to be broken down, and for our own survival, we have had to learn how to strive within them, um, and that has required us to internalize our own oppression. And so our work is um, undoing that um, oppression. And then I am, you know, always talking to folks who are identify as folks of color or mixed folks, but not as um, black or indigenous to. Um, also be unpacking their anti-Blackness and anti-Indigeneity because those are also universal. And I mean, anti-Blackness exists within Black communities and anti-Indigeneity exists within Indigenous communities as well. Again, these are large systems that infiltrate all of us, not in the same way, um, in very different ways, but still palpably across the board exist within all of our communities and they need to be acknowledged and they need to be addressed. Beautiful. And you do do
0: that through your workshops, which is, I think, you know, a great way, a great place for people to start, no matter who they are. Can Absolutely. tell us a little bit about those
1: and sure. how people can find you? Sure. Um, so, um, yeah, when people ask me, where do I start? I always say there's so many places and like, not to be facetious, but Google truly is your friend. Um, but my website is com, And I have online webinars that are always available, webinar replays of my anti-racism um um, offerings, which are called spiritual activism, is 101 and 102. Um, 101 is for um, all folks to come together and have this conversation, and then 102 we divide based on if you're white or white passing, or if you're a person of color, a non-white um, passing person of color, or mixed person, um, because the conversations look very different. Like I said, we split because the the work if you are um, a non-white passing person of color or um, mixed person is to unpack our internalized oppression. And then if you are white or white passing that the work is continuing to dive into the ways in which white privilege has um, allowed you to uh, move through the world in a very specific way that causes harm to others and the ways in which that causes harm to yourself as well. Um, And uh, I also have a resource list So a very uh, curated menu of um, books and articles and podcasts um, that are categorized um, to support people in starting to read about this work. And, you know, reading is helpful, but it's not it's not um, it's a helpful first step. It it is not enough. I'll just be clear about about that. Um, We have to be actively engaging in this work, like in our bodies, with our using our own minds. Um, So I think that that's really important. And also in that anti-racism resource list that's on my website, um, I have lists of other black and indigenous folks of color who are educating about anti-racism or other anti-oppression modalities. So uh, it's a great a great place to start um, poking around. And once you start reading and poking around and doing this work, you'll just see how much work there is. Um, And it's really important to also just mention that none of this work is new, even if it's new to you, um, and nothing that any of us are saying is new. Again, even if it's new to you, all of this work has been going on for centuries, and um, I'm still saying the same things that Sojourner Truth said in 1861, um, which is just unacceptable.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. Those I'll be sure to link those resources in the show notes. Um, my last question for you, Ray Ray, how does fierce love move through you?
1: <sighs> um fierce love moves through me as um as divinely aligned action. So yeah, my love is tangible and it is it it moves me into action. Um But sometimes that action is also stillness. Like, um, and again, that's where my work around what I call spiritual activism comes into play. Like I need to sit in stillness so that I can really sit with my emotions, have tolerance for the full spectrum of what they are, um, and, and allow myself to feel the guidance as to where and how that love needs to be utilized at any given time. So... Um, so yeah, I would say, but it's always, always for the purpose of actually, um, of, of action. Um, there's so much change that needs to happen in the world and that can be really overwhelming, but we all play a part in it. Um, in some way, shape or form, we are all here on this planet at this very specific and potent, um, and transitional and transformational time for a reason, So I believe it is um, our duty and our obligation, our responsibility to to utilize our gifts to um, to create the change that we're here to create. Well, beautiful.
0: Thank you so much for your leadership. Thank you for your time today. Um, I'm just so grateful that you're here on the planet right now.
1: Thank you. I'm grateful you're here, too.
0: That was Rachel Ricketts, author, speaker, activist, and champion for women of color. Thanks for listening in. I'll be back next week with another episode. Love you all. Here's to showing up fully present here now.